Rules. The world is full of rules. When we are children, we are taught that there are things we can do and there are things we cannot do. We can play outside, but the rule is that we must first do our homework and clean up our room. We can go out with our friends on Saturday night, but the rule is we must be home by 9 p.m. To break childhood rules is to bring about problems in your life. And I well remember, for me at least, it was to incur some kind of serious punishment from my mother. I remember being grounded from the things that I enjoyed quite often, and I can remember things I loved being confiscated and taken away from me. I also remember that time when I was almost 17 years old and I'd finally purchased my first car, which my mother had to then add onto her insurance to cover me. And how one afternoon, the song Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses began to blast through my speakers. And I rolled down all the windows and I hit the gas just a little too hard on my way home from visiting a friend. I can still see it in my mind as I was enjoying that newfound vehicular teenage freedom, glancing up into my rearview mirror and seeing the blue lights of a Kentucky State Trooper barreling down the hill after me. When I got that very first speeding ticket, I knew that when my mother found out my very life would be in grave danger. And so before I even went home that fateful afternoon, I drove first to the local McDonald's, and then I went to Arby's, and then I went to Burger King, and I picked up my first ever application for employment. And just like that, at the ripe old age of 16, my newly won, much-deserved freedom suddenly turned into a weekend job flipping burgers to pay for my sinful speeding ticket and to keep my mother from confiscating the keys to my brand new, very used 1985 Dodge Charger. And if any of you think a Dodge Charger was a sports car in 1985, I challenge you to look it up on Google when you get home this afternoon. The 1980s were not a good year, not good decade really for Dodge vehicles. Maybe trucks, definitely not cars. Still, I so began at that moment to understand why all those rules were important, why I needed to accept them and live into them myself as I grew up, and why all these years later, I've worked hard to help my own daughters understand the important need of rules and regulations in their own lives as well as in the world. They weren't just to give us a hard time or take away the things we enjoyed just for the sake of taking them away. Those rules of childhood and of our early years were working hard to teach us all how to weigh the costs and the benefits of our own actions as we came into adulthood. And they were given to us out of love and caring to help us learn to live together in a community, not just thinking about ourselves, but thinking about the good of others. They were set down for us at their core as foundations for how to live well, how to stay alive, and how to not end up in prison. 
Not boundaries and barriers so much as tickets to a real kind of freedom for all of us, at least when those rules and laws are applied to everyone equally and justly. This morning we hear again a section from the Hebrew Bible that appears every year during this holy season of Lent. It too just happens to be a very important story of rules and the foundations for life, known to the Jews and Christians as the Decalogue and known to everyone else in the world as the Ten Commandments. For some, this list of rules given to the Hebrew people by God through Moses on the top of Mount Sinai is nothing less than the very foundation of our moral codes in the Western world. Because of that, many of us Americans have tried hard to have the Ten Commandments displayed in city and county courthouses and in public schools for all to see. The Decalogue, for some of us, is the essential set of rules this sinful world desperately needs right now to right itself before it's too late. Now, for others, though, the Ten Commandments and this fundamentalist view can represent all that turns them off and away from the belief in God and in Christianity. The image of a distant supernatural deity dispensing punitive justice on creation under the threat of hellfire is disturbing and unpervasive or unpersuasive as well. And for some Christians, it also seems a direct contradiction to the loving, forgiving God that all of us identify in the New Testament and in the story of Jesus. I would tell you that for me, both of these kinds of views of the Ten Commandments are ultimately too simplistic. They are ideas that get nowhere near the richness of this central part of the Pentateuch of the Hebrew Bible. To me, these very common ideas and beliefs lack the overall vision of the Decalogue in the whole of salvation history in the Bible. That vision certainly includes both directives for how we should live responsibly in a sinful world, as well as the never-failing, always-forgiving, and freeing love of God for God's creation. To begin to approach this, we have to remember that the giving of the Decalogue in the book of Exodus is part of a covenant, a covenant between God and God's beloved. It is not, as we once thought when given rules as children by our parents, simply some sort of legalistic contract between a sovereign leader and a lower class of citizens. A contract is an agreement that is made in suspicion and in distrust. If you do A to my specifications and my satisfaction, I will in turn agree to give you B. A covenant, on the other hand, is completely different from a contract. In a covenant, there is an agreement made, not out of suspicion, but out of love, concern, and caring. I will do this for you because I care for you and I love you. And you will give this back to me because you love, care, and respect me equally. A covenant is what is at the heart of the religion and spirituality of the faith that began with Abraham in the country of Uz, which is now modern-day Iraq. God's covenant is what was promised in the Old Testament first to Noah when he saw that great rainbow after the flood and later to Abraham and then to King David when David was chosen to be the leader of the Hebrew people. Finally, God's covenant was expanded yet again 
by the prophet Jeremiah when the prophet proclaims in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no longer. For us Christians, that new covenant is finally fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah and the Savior of the world. God's covenant then for us in the church becomes the very heart of our faith. It is at the core of every sacramental rite that we have here in the church. What a couple make with each other in the sacrament of marriage. What the church makes with a new member in the sacrament of baptism. What Jesus makes with each of us when we take part in the breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup. And what we proclaim is our hope in our promise when we approach that final hour of our own death. And this understanding of a covenant made between God and God's people is absolutely essential to this morning's acceptance of those Ten Commandments. For every contract contains punitive damages that will be enforced if we fail to complete our part of that bargain or commit a breach of contract. But read again this morning those Ten Commandments and see if you can find specific threats of contractual breach within it. In Exodus, God does claim to be a jealous God and threatens to punish children for the iniquity of parents. But there are no other specifics given in those proclamations. The truth of the matter is the Decalogue has no breach of contract threats, no punitive damages, no promise of hellfire or eternal damnation. What if we could begin to see the Ten Commandments more correctly as part of a loving response from God to express to God's people the things that will ultimately harm us and rob us of our joy and love in God's creation? Listen again. God says to God's people, if you try to have other gods, my beloved, you will lose out on our special relationship and be miserable. If you try to make me into some kind of earthly material idol, you'll lose your way and you'll drop the fullness of true life in me. If you do not keep a day of rest, a day sanctified for me as God, you will exhaust yourself and be physically drained and spiritually lost. If you do not honor those who love you, if you cheat on those you have made a covenant with, if you are unjust and you lie, if you steal, murder, or envy the things that belongs to others, all of these things will ultimately destroy you and steal from you the potential that is yours and yours alone, the potential and the promise to be made to be the children of God that God created us to be in the beginning. To hear these words... From a loving God, a heavenly father and mother, is to understand them not as punishing and threatening, but as a covenant that seeks to actually remove the barriers that separate us from the relationship God is desperate to have with us, the love that God offers to us, and the promise God wants to make with us. That, I believe, is the heart of the Decalogue. And in the gospel this morning, as shocking as it may sound, this is exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate to us in his fit of rage in the temple in Jerusalem. 
In the years following the giving of the Decalogue to Moses, the machine of religion created mostly by human beings slowly churned out a whole new set of rules and regulations to ensure that the Jewish people kept up their end of the covenant with God. There were sacrifices prescribed when the people broke the law given in the Pentateuch. And to make these sacrifices, the people had to purchase the right kind of animals, pure and unblemished for the altar of the temple. And to purchase the right kind of unblemished kosher animals, the people had to trade in their pagan coins bearing the face of the Roman Caesar for the Hebrew shekel that could finally be used to purchase the sacrificial animals for the temple in Jerusalem. Of course, every money changer had their fees and profits were made for this important service. The poor often had to borrow money needed to gain the shekels to purchase the animals to make the sacrifice. And so rather than breaking down the barriers between God and his forgiveness, God and humanity, as God intended with the covenant, Jesus found the temple loaded with barriers. Interestingly, let me quickly point out that in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they place this story this morning of the cleansing of the temple at the very end of the Gospels, the last act of Jesus prior to the crucifixion. This morning, however, in John's Gospel, it is placed at the very beginning, chapter 2, the first act of Jesus in his ministry, setting the tone for all that will come after it, I believe. Jesus is embodying here in his protest at the temple the goal of God made in his covenant from the time of Moses and the Decalogue, that God is never about setting up unnecessary, unneeded boundaries and barriers. God's love and grace is instead about removing them for the good of all of creation. Jesus, in that moment, becomes himself the new temple. The temple Jesus becomes will soon be destroyed and raised up again in three days so that all the barriers of sin which humanity struggled to overcome will be utterly and finally obliterated. The Ten Commandments are not done away with, but they are reimagined and redefined in Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. For us, brothers and sisters, as we approach the middle of our Lenten pilgrimage, Let us search ourselves for our own barriers and the lives that we live and the routines that we create. Those things that work to separate us from being able to rest in the love and caring of God and in the building up of God's kingdom here among us. Let us see the discipline that is required during this time, not as restrictive and punitive, but as liberating to help us become the people God calls us to be in Jesus Christ and to do the work that will finally finish what God began in his creation. Take up your cross and follow Jesus, and you will find rest for your soul and a just, peaceful world God dreams for all of us to have. Amen.